Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy, and Smart Podcast. Each week, we interview the best and brightest in physical therapy, wellness, and entrepreneurship. We give you cutting-edge information you need to live your best life, healthy, wealthy, and smart. The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not be used as personalized medical advice. And now, here's your host, Dr. Karen Litzy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, Karen Litzy, And today's mini masterclass episode is brought to you by NetHealth. NetHealth is Redoc powered by XFIT, a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. You can expand your visit capacity, get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is you don't have to do all of it on your own. There's one solution that brings it all to the table, and that is Redoc powered by XFIT. To learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. All right, on to today's episode. I am joined in this mini masterclass by pediatric clinical specialist and owner of Starfish Therapies, Dr. Stacy Menz. She received her master's degree at Boston University and then her doctorate of physical therapy at Boston University. She is the founder and owner of Starfish Therapies, a pediatric physical therapy company in the San Francisco Bay Area. Their mission is to make a difference in the lives of each child and family that they interact with. In addition, Stacy has experience as a teaching lab assistant for Boston University, South College, and Chapman University's Doctor of Physical Therapy programs. She has presented at state and national conferences and teaches continuing education courses for pediatric physical therapy. She is also the editor of Impact, the Private Practice Sections magazine, and is a board member for Keene San Francisco. So a huge thanks to Stacy for coming on the program today and taking us through our very first pediatric uh, podcast with this great pediatric mini masterclass. So everyone, enjoy today's episode, and a big thanks again to NetHealth for sponsoring. Hello, Dr. Stacy Menz. Welcome to the podcast. I'm excited to have you on, my first pediatric physical therapist. Hello, and thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. And today we are going to be doing a mini masterclass. So you're our mini masterclass for September. And I'm really excited to talk about a pediatric case because it's not like a one and done. It's not one course of care and then the patient moves on. Oftentimes with pediatric cases, you're seeing these children for years. And I think that's something that people will definitely get to see in this case that you sent over, which I'm really excited to share. So thank you. You're welcome. All right, so I am going to sort of quickly read the history here, and then I will throw the ball to Stacy to have her start her process of how she would evaluate and treat this child. So the history is the child's almost five-year-old girl lives at home with mom and dad and younger sister. Mom is a pediatric occupational therapist, and her mom had concerns but has been consistently told by doctors and other parents and friends that her daughter looks just fine. But mom notices that she looks different than her peers and is not impacting her participation in age-appropriate play skills. So she has a history of bilateral hip dysplasia identified at birth, uh, the Pavlik harness wear full-time age two weeks to 14 weeks, half-time 14 weeks to 22 weeks, discharged at 22 weeks. 50% coverage of hips in neutral and with stress maneuvers and not significant uncovering. And Stacey will have you explain that. Um, 
So she presented to physical therapy at almost six months due to mom's concerns. Now, notice I said she's now almost a five-year-old girl. Uh, So during the eval, she was having weekly PT, and then she was coming back to physical therapy on a regular basis as she aged, and now she's almost five. So Stacy, I'll have it, I'll throw the ball to you. First thing before we even start, could you let the listeners know what a pavlic harness is? Sure. Um, A pavlic harness is something that kids can wear if they have this bilateral hip dysplasia, because it means that their hip sockets aren't fully covering the head of the femur. And so it holds them in a flexed and abducted position so that they can maximize the coverage of the hips. Got it. Because the danger to that would be a dislocating hip, correct? Correct. Yes. All right. So now this little girl, baby, comes to you at almost six months. So take us through the process of the evaluation at this time and then what that course of care has looked like over the past, I guess, close to five years. Yeah. So when she first came to us, um, like, like you said, mom had concerns. Um, being a pediatric occupational therapist, she knew that her daughter looked weak. Um, after wearing this harness at six months, she could almost do a full, she could do a full split easily. Not normal. You know, like her range of motion was way too excessive and she had a lot of weakness. However, she was hitting all of her milestones. So when I did the Peabody, which is a very typical standardized test that's done with Um, kids to look at where they are compared to typically developing peers, she was falling within the normal range. The problem was that she was doing a lot of compensatory strategies to do that movement. So the fact that she was weak and had this extra range of motion wasn't affecting the skills that she had to do at that level, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And so the Peabody test, obviously a standardized test, is one thing, but you also have to look at the quality of the movement because yes. like you said, if she's has all these strategies to make up for it, the, the standardized test on paper is not enough. Correct. And that's what mom was concerned about. Um, so she didn't want her to have these long-term implications from the weakness and, you know, maybe preferring one side a little bit more than the other. So just for instance, when she was crawling, she a lot of times would end up putting her right foot up so that she wasn't using her knee. She was using her foot on the ground. So she had left knee on the ground, right foot on the ground. Interesting. Um, And there are kids that do that. And so, you know, we do try to get them into more hands and knees position. However, there are kids that will do that, but that's just one of her compensations that Mm -hmm. she was doing. Mm -hmm. Um, She also would tend to sit in W sitting, which there's different opinions on W sitting because there's no research that officially shows that it is bad. However, it is usually a compensatory mechanism because it's a more stable sitting position Mm -hmm. than just sitting with your legs crossed or sitting side sitting. Um, So as a therapist, we tend to work with parents to have their child not go in that position. It puts their legs in a lot of internal rotation Mm -hmm. and 
we started to see that like she had a lot of excessive range of motion into internal rotation at her hips as well as flexion and abduction the flexion and abduction came partly because of wearing this harness <clears throat> so um, what we did was we just really looked at her quality and with a kid at six months even up to a year a lot of your strengthening with them is doing the skills that they would already be doing. So just making it a little bit more challenging or having them do it a few more times. Um, one of the fun things about being in pediatrics is that you are constantly playing. So you get to use your imagination a lot <laughs> and you're constantly trying to convince them that they really wanna do what you want them to do. <laughs> so um, this little girl, even at that age, was extremely stubborn as well. Um, so it did take a lot more convincing to do things. And we also found that um, at that age, we started to see a little bit of it, but it came out more as she got older, that if she found something a little hard, she would avoid it, which mm. obviously people do that. But it was she wasn't sticking with something that was harder. God, isn't that amazing that even as like a six month old, nine month, a year, that instinct is still there to kind of avoid things that are challenging? Yes. Yes. So we saw her weekly starting at six months and then we kind of decreased at her reval. Mom being a pediatric OT was great with carrying things over at home. Um, they lived a little bit further away from us, so it was hard for them to get here weekly. And then we continue to decrease, you know, as mom felt comfortable with the home program. The other challenge with working with kids, especially this young, is that nothing is stable. So we, you can get them strong, but then they grow. And now all of a sudden, they're weak again, because now they have new length tension relationships with their muscles and bones. And so then you work to get the strength back again. The nice thing is if you're working at it, it comes back a little bit faster each time they have a growth spurt. Now, with the growth spurts, add in the fact that their skill demands are constantly changing. So at six months, she might be having to work on sitting and rolling and maybe some crawling. Well, nine months, now she should be standing and maybe cruising and then at a year, walking. So not only are they growing and their bodies changing, but the demands on them are changing. So there's never really a stable period, if that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense. Um, as you're working with this child, let's say from that six months to a year or so, what sort of things are you asking the parent? What do you want to know? So one of the things we always ask is like, what's important to you or like, well, obviously we start with the, what's, what are you concerned about? Why are you here? That's always the first. And that's how we got the fact that mom had these concerns that nobody else seemed to have. Um, and then we want to know what's important to them. So as a PT, I might think it's important for, you know, her to, it's hard at this age, but um, her to crawl and her to sit in three different positions. I just made that up. But Mom could be like, no, I need her just to be able to sit stably so that I can do this. You know, like I want to know where her focus is because that's what they're going to buy into. The other stuff I can work on bringing them around to, but I want to start with where they're at, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. 
Um, and then we ask, like, what are they able to do? You know, what's, what are they involved in? Um, at this point, they only, this little girl was an only child, so, and mom was home with her, which was nice. So she had the time to do this stuff. And so she just started arranging their living room. She used to laugh. She's like, it's like a little kitty gym. You know, she would put pillows down on the ground to make it harder for crawling. And she would find things to help with climbing. And I know a lot of parents are like, no, don't teach my child to climb. Well, it's a great way to work on strength. So we just gave her some activities to do that when they were at home or in the community, they could just fit into their day with playing and encouraging movement. So it's not like we sent her home being like, you need to do 10 bridges three times a day. Right, right. So we really work to build it into what they're going to already be able to do because as a parent, your life is already in upheaval. (laughs) So, you know, you're trying to figure out a new normal for your schedule. We don't want to make it more complicated. Got it. So that makes a lot of sense. So you're asking the parent, what, what are you looking for? What are you hoping for, for the child and what makes sense within your daily life so that we can really make sure that there is good carryover from what you're teaching in the clinic to what they're doing at home. Because like you said, they're coming in once a week, then maybe once every other week, once every three weeks. So you're not seeing them on a daily basis, but the parents are seeing them 24-7 basically. Correct. Yes. So we want them to feel comfortable and confident in carrying over this stuff because that means the child's going to use it more. And the more you use it, the stronger you get, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. So with a pediatric case like this, it sounds like it's more of a team effort and an education of the parents and therapy for the parents. Yes. So that way they can carry it over with the child at home. So you're not only treating the child, but you're treating the whole family, I would think, in a way. Yes. Yes. And that, just on the sidebar, that is, everybody asks, what's the hardest part about working with kids? And for me, a lot of times, I feel that one of the biggest challenges is that I'm not just working with the child. I'm working with the family. And so, you know, depending on why the child's there, there can be things that the parents aren't ready to handle at that point in time. So you have to go to where the parent's at. So you, I don't want, you know, say it's a more severe diagnosis and it's like, well, it might not be likely that they're going to walk. So you need to look at a wheelchair. Mm-hmm. They're not ready for that. Like I need to go where they're going to hear me. So you have to work on how to communicate with them so that you do create a relationship and that down the road that that relationship builds and that you can have the harder conversations, but you can't jump in with those a lot of times if they're not ready to hear. And sometimes it takes years for them to be ready to hear certain things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would Um, think it would. Yes. And it's the parents who are bringing the child and the parents who have to help with the carryover. So it's not just the child. And so that's what tends to make it a little bit more challenging. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Now let's get back to, so let's say we're going to skip ahead here. At 22 months, she was discharged. She was hitting some milestones, some unsteadiness with fatigue, but enrolling in different dance, gymnastics, karate. Now, at three years old, she returned to physical therapist. What happened? Why? Yeah, so she was doing these, you know, we got, mom got her into some community-based programs, which is ideal. Uh, Mm -hmm. Encourages their participation. Um, They're with their peers. And it's also going to be working on her strength and her balance and her coordination. So mom, though, noticed that 
she still, you know, she's in gymnastics and she's not doing things quite to the same level as her peers. You know, she tends to be a little bit floppier where she just kind of throws her body around some. Um, she still has this crazy range of motion. Her long, her balance, like standing on foot was still a little bit challenging. Um, again, similar concerns. Like she just seems weaker. She still has a lot of range of motion. You know, she's growing, she's doing more. She's not necessarily she's wanted a refresher on ways to work on the strength because she didn't feel that just the community programs were helping. Okay. So mom initiates this. She comes in at three years old. So now this is a different child than when she was three, (laughs) six years. So what are you now looking at with a three-year-old? And now let's not forget a three-year-old can kind of communicate. Yes. They've got, they can use some words. They kind of have a better idea as to maybe what they're feeling. So are you now incorporating some subjective interviewing with the child as well as the parent? Yes. Well, and this little girl is not afraid to tell you what she thought also. (laughs) Well, that's a good thing. (laughs) Yes. Um, I would say at this age with her, it was more about like what her likes and dislikes were, you know in terms of getting buy-in to participating with the treatment plan was, all right, we know we want to work on single leg balance or we want to work on core strength. So it's a lot of like, all right, here's two options. Which one do you want to do Um, in terms of play games? That's for the, the treatment side. In terms of getting feedback from her, you know, mom helped facilitate it, but they had a balance bike and you know, she wasn't really liking to use it. So this little girl was able to give the feedback of why she didn't like to use it. I mean, it generally was like, it's hard. Mm -hmm. So you're not getting anything complex, but she was able to be part of the conversation. And then, you know, she didn't always tell you things that were accurate, but usually it was stuff that mom could say, oh no, she's making that up right now. (laughs) So however, that's also part of kids. They have an imagination or, you know, they... Maybe she was trying to get out of something and she's like, oh no, I did that. And mom's like, oh no, she didn't. (laughs) So it is nice to have the parents backing up. But yes, we do bring them in, the child in more. And I mean, even from the young age before they can talk, it's all about what their likes and dislikes are because we need to motivate them. Absolutely. So. And so now that she's three years she's had a taste of, like you said, some community programs and things like that. So where do you go from here as far as maybe some specific, I don't want to say exercises, but some specific, for lack of a better word, exercises that you might work on because she's still got weakness, that excessive range of motion. Right. Even though she's kind of hitting her milestones. Yes. She's still at this part was falling um, with you know, her locomotor scores on the Peabody. So her ability to move and do the milestones was still right within the average range to the above average range. Um, however, her stationary, so her balance was starting to get to the low average mm. range. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what we started to see at this point, and sorry, let me back up. One of the reasons also that they re-came back is we have a piece of equipment at our clinic that allows us to use um, low level it's a pulley system that allows us to do actual weight training with the kids so we do low level weights with high reps and really Mm -hmm. it's just working on the 
isolated, isolating motor control and that they're becoming more efficient and effective. Cause at this age, you know, strength training is not about bulk or anything like right. that. It's about becoming more effective at recruiting the right muscles at the right time. And so we kind of wanted to do a trial of that. Like, okay, if we just target her adductors, will that help while adding in some of the play-based? So, you know, cause mom's like, all right, that's something that we haven't done. And now she's a little bit older. We can try that. So we did try that. Um, and it was, it definitely was helping some, um, again, though the commute and she started preschool, it just got hard for her to come. So what we gave mom for home was continue to do, you set up the environment for her. However, looking at skills that she couldn't just race through because now she's starting to use her movement to find stability. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. but It does. So like if she was moving faster, she was a little more stable than moving slowly. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. we put her on a high balance beam. She didn't like it because she couldn't just race to the end of it without falling off. Like she mm-hmm. had to slow down and control herself. Um, so we looked for more activities like that, that mom could incorporate where they, she couldn't just race through them. And so she had to then call in her core muscles and stabilize more to help with her balance skills and her core strength and her ability to maintain core strength while doing other things. So mom worked on that. You know, she has a whole gym at her house. I actually would like to be one of this girl's friends that comes over for play dates because she sets up a whole motor course. She's got a lot of fun stuff there. (laughs) Yes. She's like, I just keep it hidden so that it comes out from the secret place, which is just the hall closet, but nobody has found it yet. Awesome. (laughs) Yes. So yeah. So we had tried the, like I said, the weights and it was helping some, but again, commute and life got to be too challenging. So they were going to continue with the community programs, continue to work on the things that we gave her to do. Okay. And so that's, she's what, around three, three plus years. So let's say if we fast forward now to when's the next time that you see this girl after, you know, she's around three, three and a half. Yeah. So she had come from that episode of care. She came in at like almost four. Mm -hmm. We hadn't seen her in a while and it was just for a reval, but then they never came back again. So now fast forward to the almost five. Okay. So she comes back in because at this point now, same concerns mom's having. Um, oh, let me back up. Sorry. When she was there at the three-year-old episode of care, she, with this, her using the mobility to find stability, we also start to notice that because some of the skills were getting a little bit higher level, like trying to do skipping and things like that she was having harder time, some harder time with some of that coordination. So she couldn't just find those compensations that she had gotten by on for so long. Mm-hmm. Um, and the coordination problems were coming because of the underlying weakness and that inability to like create the stability to move off of. Um, so now at five, mom's back because again, same concerns, but now this little girl is self-selecting out of activities that her peers are doing. So they go to the playground and she refuses to go on an unstable surface, you know, like those wiggly bridges, even though she's capable of doing it, it's too hard for her. She doesn't want to. Um, She doesn't like any unstable ladders like climbing nets or anything like that, or ladders that have like larger gaps 
in them. And now, obviously those could be scary, but some of them are known ladders that she's been able to do with help, but it takes a lot of coercion and convincing her to do it. Um, still not riding a bike, not really even wanting to. Mm. She is using her three-wheel scooter, and she's perfectly content with that because she can do it really well. Um, but it's not challenging her at all. They're not taking it away because obviously it's age-appropriate and she's using it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then going back to what the child wants, she wants to do monkey bars, and she's not like she can barely hang on the bar. So, um. So that's why they're back now, because now it's affecting her participation in life. Yeah. And that's, it it sounds like can be something that can be isolating for the child, even though she's self-selecting to pull herself away from that. Yes. Yes. So, you know, and again, still mom's getting the feedback that like, oh, she looks just fine. And, you know, her peers are like, what are you talking about? However, she's noticing that, and she's like, I want to get nip this in the bud before all of a sudden her friends are all over here doing this stuff and she's not able to do it. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I think what's interesting is, you know, obviously you have a unique case here because mom's a pediatric occupational therapist. And so she is probably a little bit more trained than the average parent when it comes to looking at your child from a different lens. But for a lot of parents, they might just think you know, oh, well, she just doesn't like it. So we'll just have her keep doing what she's doing. So are there things that if there's parents out there listening that maybe they should take a closer look at if you have, because here you have a child without a very specific diagnosis. Correct. It's just mom has this gut feeling like, listen, things are not, she's not doing what everyone else is doing. So as a parent, do you just say, oh, well, this child just doesn't like it? Or is there a reason to take a closer look? As a PT, I would say, yes, there is a reason Mm -hmm. to take a look. However, you also then have to look at what the family values are. You know, if they're not an active family and they think it's okay, you know, it's not wrong for them to feel that way. But yes, like one of the ways to look at it is like, oh, what are, what are you doing on the playground at school? And what are, your, what are all the other kids doing? Or asking the teacher, you know, that's an easy way at an early age is like, are they all doing the same thing on the playground? Okay. Well, that's good. That's a, a great way for a parent to kind of look at their child as compared to their peers is, are they, like you said, she won't go on a wiggly beam or on like a net ladder. Yeah. And is there a reason for that? So I guess I'm assuming at age five, you can ask her, why do you not want to do that? Right. Yes. And you might have to tease out her answer because, Mm -hmm. you know, they could just say, well, I don't like it. Yeah. I don't want to. (laughs) I don't like it. Exactly. You have to might say, well, can you tell me why you don't like it? Versus just saying, I don't like it, end of conversation. So kind of using our motivational interviewing skills to tease out maybe a deeper reason for that. Yes, exactly. So yes, a lot of motivational interviewing with kids and motivational everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so she comes back to you. She's now five. What are you guys doing to perhaps... Uh, for treatment and is obviously your evaluations a little different now than it was when she was one or two or three. And is she riding a bike yet? 
<laughs> yeah. So no, she's not riding a bike. She can pedal a bike with training wheels. Oh, that's good. Um, yes, but still not her favorite thing to do. It takes a little bit more work. It's a little bit more effort. Um, however, it's easier than the balance bike or a bike without training wheels. Um, so when we, when she was coming back, you know, we kind of as a group talked about her a little bit ahead of time because, you know, we're like, she's always age appropriate on her milestones. So what do we want to look at? And now she's a little bit older. So we're like, well, let's look at the pediatric balance scale. Um, and we added in some other components. And when we did the pediatric balance scale, again, she came out age appropriate, but we were able to look at quality while mm-hmm. we were doing it also. And so we did add in other things because we also wanted to see like, all right, is her not wanting to do these things? Is it obviously her balance is somewhat impacted? However, what's causing that? So we did add in some like, you know, different positions on stable versus unstable and then with and without vision just to kind of tease out, was there a drastic difference? Like if she's standing on an unstable surface and we take away her vision, does she completely fall apart? Um, And? No, she didn't. Um, However, her left side was definitely way harder um, and she used a lot more compensation. So like standing on one leg, she wrapped her right foot around her left leg to stabilize. Um, She kind of changed her trunk position to lock out some degrees of freedom also. So we were able to see that there was a difference between the two sides, at least. So we were like, all right, well, that's good information to have you know, we took, we put her on an unstable surface, so we took away vision, and she had some increased postural sway, but we expected to see that. It wasn't like she just fell to the ground the minute we Mm -hmm. challenged her too much. What we also really got to see was how when something's hard, she gives up. So we, again, this is like more subjective or just paying attention to the cues that they're giving, but we could tell when she was giving a best effort versus not. So, you know, we're having her do a tandem stance and she would stand for like a second and then be like, "Ah," you know, like playfully fall as opposed to really giving it her best effort. So we had to do a lot of breaks and coming back and things like that. Um, Go ahead. I was going to say, how long does an evaluation like this take? Because kids don't really have the longest attention span. So how, how long does this generally take? Um, I mean, we generally schedule evaluations for an hour, but okay. we're very rarely doing evaluation in the entire time. So like even with just this pediatric balance scale, you know, we would do it and then we would pull out the stomp rocket so that she could play with it. Um, you know, you're working in the play with it or you're taking breaks and doing something fun for them. Um, maybe a little bit of bribing, like, Oh, when we finish this, we get to mm-hmm, <laughs> go mm-hmm. do the swing. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think these are all great tips for potential pediatric physical therapists and for parents out there listening, because you know, you've been doing this for a long time, so you make it sound easy, but there are challenges and, and these are good ways and, and little hints for people to kind of get around some of these challenges. Yes. You want to always kind of have, one thing you learn is you might have the perfect plan and, but you need a plan B and C and D as well, because you could think you have these 10 activities that you're going to do and you've, 
either they've refused them or they didn't go the way you thought, or you go through them in the first 10 minutes and you're like, all right, what's next? And it's definitely a skill you get with time of how to like push out an activity um, or get them to do it longer. Cause especially like in this girl's case, we want endurance. On that note, we're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, NetHealth. And when we return, we'll talk all about the treatment. PTs, what do you hope to accomplish in 2018? I bet providing even better patient care and increasing revenue are top on the list. First, expand your visit capacity. Then get paid for your services, ramp up patient engagement, and eliminate worries about documentation and compliance. The good news is there's one solution that brings it all to the table. Redoc, powered by XFIT, is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution. Imagine PT billing, coding, compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you. Learn more about Redoc and complete revenue cycle management services at nethealth.com slash healthy. Oh, this is kind of jumping ahead to treatment, um, which do you want me to go there? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Let's, let's jump ahead. Let's do it. One of the things that, you know, we've had to do with her is really work into like talking with her and building up her confidence um, that practice is okay. And that, you know, you don't have to be great at it, but like, we're up, we're all practicing, you know? And so like, Oh, look, I'm going to practice with you. And like really making it okay that she has to do things a little bit more often. And, you know, we do, she's at the age where she's stubborn and competitive and we gamify things like, Oh, let's see who can hold this longer or Mm -hmm. things like that. So, that has definitely helped because like I said, we want her to be able to sustain and maintain, especially her core strength, because going back to the exam, you know, there are some norms for her age. There's not a lot, but we were able to look and she did not hit any of the norms. Like she was significantly off for all of them, for her flexor strength, for her extensor strength. Um, her, she wasn't able to do a push-up. Um, she wasn't even actually able to get into a plank position. And when we put her in a plank position, um, and I know push-ups for five-year-olds sounds crazy, but in karate, what she was taking, they were doing push-ups. Sure. And it wasn't that important for mom for her to do the push-up because they were going to be stopping karate because it was becoming a fight to go. <laughs> However, you know, it was something that her peers were doing, and there are norms for that age. But we put her in a plank, and she immediately increased her lumbar lordosis and increased her hip flexion Mm -hmm. because she was looking to lock out those degrees of freedom to try to stabilize. Mm -hmm. Um, So we also, there's no norms for this, but prone walkouts over a peanut. Well, when we first tried, she couldn't even do it. Like this required stabilization and movement. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a disaster. So that activity has now translated into something they do during treatment. Got um, it. So part of the evaluation becomes the treatment. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Um, so, and then just on the sidebar of her not having an official diagnosis, um, because her doctor in the beginning would not agree for her to come to PT, and yes, I know we were direct access, but we were going to need some type of referral down the road after several mm-hmm. visits. Mm-hmm mom got the pediatrician to agree and they gave her a diagnosis of low tone. And when she was little, we were like, we don't see it, but whatever, we'll take it. She can come to PT. It's fine. But it's interesting because when she presented this time, we were like, maybe that diagnosis of low tone wasn't far off. She didn't present 
early on, like our typical, like floppy kid, Mm -hmm. but we were seeing it more now. So while I didn't give a diagnosis of low tone, I did in my report note, you know, she'd had a previous diagnosis and clinically she was presenting with some mild low tone. She was a flopper, like to go from standing to the ground, she just dropped directly into W sitting. Like there was no, yeah, yeah, there was no control happening anywhere. Um, You know, she either was in motion or she was like slumped onto something. So we did talk about it with mom and she's going to, was going to follow up with the doctor to see like if they thought, but she's never seen a neurologist. It's always been an orthopedic doc Mm -hmm. because of her hips or a pediatrician. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we did have that discussion and she's like, all right, I'll follow up on that. Um, We haven't heard back from that though. Got it. And what is your hypothesis at this point as, as you're seeing her as this five-year-old little girl, what is your assessment? So our hypothesis was, it was kind of fun to put this one together and I know this sounds silly, but I love coming up with the assessments. That's like, I'm like, I'm putting all the puzzles to pieces together. And that's one of my favorite things about being a PT. Um, So we're like, all right, she can't stabilize. She also, we're seeing, uses really like large graded movements. Like there's no like individual, like small grading. Um, It's like very uncontrolled. So like when something requires control, she can't do it. Um, And she also doesn't isolate her movements and she won't slow down to control the movement. So we're like, all right. So we are realizing that she has this underlying weakness and what's happening is she can't coordinate her muscles to provide the proximal stability that she needs in order to isolate movement off of that stable surface. And her tasks have now become too challenging, like I said earlier, that she can't just compensate her way through them. Yeah. So we need, we're working, so we need to like build her ability to hold her core stable and then do something else with her arms or her legs or the mm-hmm. rest of her body. Mm-hmm. So that's where the coordination comes in to have kind of different things happening at the same time with the muscles that makes sense. Yeah. So it seems like she was sort of uh, faking it till you make it for a long time. And now as she's grown, she can't fake it anymore. Correct. So it's become really obvious. Like, you know, we saw pieces of this earlier, but it all of a sudden was like much more glaring at this age. Got it. Got it. So what kind of stuff are you working with her? What kind of treatments are you looking at in order to improve this proximal stability so she can move her arms and legs in a controlled manner? So we are looking at, you know, we've done a lot with like limiting her degrees of freedom. So taking away, like, so how, when she was in the plank, like she locked out her pelvis. So, Mm -hmm. um, So looking at different ways that we can limit some of the degrees of freedom so that she can start to isolate while being stable. Um, So for instance, the prone walkout on the peanut, you know, she has to weight bear through her arms Mm -hmm. and move out. Well, we're only go, we're starting with only going maybe a little down the chest. Like we're not going to have her go all the way out to her knees. So we're, taking away some of that, giving her some confidence, letting her get better at that, and then slowly increasing the distance. You know, we don't want to go too far where she falls apart 
um, but we still want to be challenging. So we're doing that like kind of and some blocked practice of those limited degrees of freedom. We're also breaking down the tasks. So the easiest one for me to describe this is, is with um, jumping jacks. Not okay. that she's working on it, but it's an easy way to describe it. So jumping jacks, you have to like open your legs, swing your arms, you have to jump, then you have to bring everything back down and you have to like count while you're doing it. It's challenging. So you start with, okay, let's jump open with our feet, close with our feet, open with our feet, close with our feet. Now we're going to jump open with our feet and we're going to clap our hands over our head. Now we're going to jump close and bring our hands back down. And while we're doing this, we're talking through it. We're doing it with them. So we're providing a visual cue. Um, sometimes for kids who have more challenging, we might have dots on the ground. So they know that their feet when they're together is on the dot and it's off the dot when they're mm. not together. Mm -hmm. So giving a lot of that cueing and then we slowly add the complexity to the task. We slowly take away the cues. We do it very slow and then we work with them to put it together. So I don't, I don't know the official ways to describe that, but it's that like giving them a lot and then practicing it and then slowly taking it away till they're doing the task. And then yeah. you work to generalize it. So maybe you change the environment or you change the tempo or things like that. Very cool. So it's sort of this graded exposure to uh, an exercise or to a movement um, yes. for, for a child, which I think yes. is really cool. Yeah. And so like for skipping, um, mom sent us a video. She was practicing it at home. They have um, stone walk path where there's like paver stones like in circle form. And so she was doing, they had practiced it here, but she carried over the blocked practice at home where she would step on one and kind of talk herself through it. She's like, step, hop, and then step to the next one. So she's giving herself her visual cues and then kind of hop on that foot and then go to the next one. So she's slowing it down and using the visual cues at home and starting to get build up some of that stability while doing a coordinated activity. Very cool. So all of this, it's so interesting when you don't work with the pediatric population, how, first of all, how much fun it sounds. Mm -hmm. um, and number two, how much you're taking from neurological uh, treatments and orthopedic treatments and kind of blending them together and allowing the kids to have fun while they're working on their deficits. Yes. Yes. It's really cool. Okay. So you're working on some prone walkouts. You're working on balance, skipping, breaking down tasks. But what about what she wants to do? She wants to be able to use the monkey bars. So yes. how are you working on that task? So we created a mini monkey bar set in our clinic. Um, and Ikea is fabulous. We took their wooden ladder and made it into monkey bars. <laughs> so smart. Yes. You get creative also as a peds therapist. But so what we did was we started with her just hanging on a bar. Um, and so just like getting used to like, not just letting her whole body hang, but really like engaging the core and this um, shoulder complex so that she has some stability there. Mm -hmm. And then from there, you know, we've kind of found this fun activity where we take one of our physio balls and while they're hanging, we roll it and let them try to like 
kick it from the air. You know, they can usually only get one in, but now we're adding in some movement. So she's using some momentum with her body and having to stabilize at the same time. And they think it's funny, especially if they hit you with the ball. It's always hysterical. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, that's kind of the basics. And then obviously it's not fun for the kids not to do it. So she didn't have a problem with knowing how to do one hand in front of the other. Like that, the coordinated movement was not the problem or the motor planning of the movement wasn't the problem. Hers was this creating the stable core. So when, sorry, I'm backtracking a little bit. When kids have problems with the coordinated movement of the hands, we will stick sometimes our um, treatment table underneath the monkey bars and have them walk on their knees while doing the hand part, like in practicing that. So it's like, yeah, see, look, one hand, then the other. We didn't have to do that with her, but we did, we do let her practice the monkey bar. Let sounds weird, but we do practice the monkey bars each time going all the way through. Um, However, a breakdown from that is, okay, so we start with one, she's hanging on the second to last bar and now she just has to get to the next bar and then she can drop down. Mm -hmm. Um, And so kind of breaking it down into smaller chunks and then we'll go through at the end and do the entire set. And what we have to do with her is it's almost a little bit of that, like giving her, we've already primed her core muscles. So they're kicking in a little bit easier. We still have to give a little bit of weight support, but mostly it's the like maintaining the momentum. And a lot of people would look at it and say, well, isn't it easier for them to go one bar and then bring the next hand up and then the next bar and bring the next hand up. And in theory, yes, it is. However, we have learned that kids that have a hard time turning their core on, every time they get both hands on the same bar, turn everything off. So they lose any of that momentum. So we've found it's actually easier for them to keep the contractions that they need when they're doing that kind of swing through Mm -hmm. movement. Um, And again, it's, I think just because they're already in motion and you've already got everything primed where as soon as they feel a little bit more stable, they're like, Oh, look, I can. And we've said like, she flops into things like she's either in motion or she collapses. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, so when we do the full set, we're kind of slowly grading the support we're giving her. Um, But we want her to feel successful, which is why we are, we end with going the full thing. So we're not quite to monkey bar her doing it on her own yet. However, she's at least getting one to two on her own right now. Well, that's awesome. And, and it sounds to me like with all of the treatments that you're doing from when she was six months old until now, that a lot of it is being able to show the child success so that they can build up their confidence and they can continue to practice it on their own. Yes, exactly. Yeah, vitally important. I guess we should probably do that with our adults too. Um, <laughs> Agreed. Because if you can't do something, you're probably not going to want to do it, mm-hmm. um, which makes perfect sense. All right. So let's talk about where are you at with her at the moment? So she's not quite doing the monkey bars. Is she still seeing you? Are you guys on hiatus and she's working on her own? No, we're still seeing her. Um, this is actually a fairly recent revisit so which is one of the reasons I picked it because we just found it fascinating um so currently before school starts she is coming twice a week because mom's like all right I can commit to that she's like we might have to revisit once school starts about what we're going to do but let's give her a little bit more now Mm -hmm. which we agreed with I mean we were like that is perfect you know this is the great part about working with somebody who understands Mm -hmm. 
the process. Um, so we've been seeing her twice a week and really like boosting up some of this strength because, sorry, again, with the weakness, yes, it's there, but with kids a lot of times too, like the motor learning happens way faster than the strength builds up. And so you can start to see changes really fast by the lots of repetitions and the practice and the learning how to turn on the muscles at the right time because like her muscles can do stuff. She's just not using them the way she's supposed to. So we're really working on that. Um, and they are practicing the bike more and she's using a two wheel scooter and mom's so great. Like she's carrying this stuff over at home. So she's at an age where independence is important. She doesn't want to do anything challenging, but she wants to ride down the sidewalk on her own. Mm -hmm. So she's only allowed to do it if she's on the two wheel scooter. <laughs> so that's how mom's gotten her to practice that. And the two wheel scooter is harder because she now has to, again, stabilize while pushing with one foot and the other one that she'd been using had three wheels. So it was a lot more stable. Like the razors, they're kind of, they're a lot more wobbly and she has to work sure. harder. But again, so finding her motivation and that independent stubborn streak and using it to your advantage. Um, they are working on a bike without training wheels. Um, so she's pedaling. We have a harness that we use that helps so that we can kind of let we don't have to have our hands on the child. It's on a little like grip on their back. So you can start to like slowly let go without them realizing it. Um, and so she's starting to get a couple feet of pedaling when she doesn't know that we're not helping mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. her. So, and then we tell her afterwards and then she gets all excited. So again, it's that building the confidence of like, Oh, well I did it. So of course I want to try more. Yeah. And what an, what a really interesting, interesting case. And uh, I think it's, I, I love that you brought in a case that's not so traditional and where there is no clear diagnosis, but yet using your evaluative skills and your clinical thinking and reasoning that you, you found like, you know, something there, there are some things that we need to work on here and mm -hmm. you're sort of setting her up now so that hopefully when she hits those teen years, maybe she'll be just fine. Yes. That is the goal, um, and I think that she will be, actually. Yeah. I think that she's a smart little kid, and so I think, she, like I said, we, you said we, she's gotten away for so long with these shortcuts, and so I think it's just a matter of teaching her and giving her this confidence, and she'll be just fine because she carries things over once she's interested in something. Awesome. And now for all the listeners out there, maybe potential pediatric PTs, mm -hmm. what, what would you say would be your, um, your best tips for those working with children? And, and I know that I don't want to say with a specific diagnosis, but right. say, what are your, your biggest tips when working with kids? So we we tend to hire a lot of new grads. And so this is a point. Um, and what I look for is I want to see somebody that knows how to relate to a child. I don't, I can't teach that. And I don't want to teach that. Mm -hmm. So knowing how to get down to the kid's level and play with them is one of the biggest things, like how to interact with them, how to like have fun and make them have fun also, or facilitate them having fun. Um, the ability to be silly, but also 
then, you know, you can, you learn how to draw the lines and create boundaries and be firm when you need to. But that playing with a kid is I think so important because as you saw, so much of what we do is play skills, like the hands-on stuff. We can teach that. Um, you're going to learn that as you work with kids and every child's going to be a little bit different. So the knowing how to play with kids and then also the more you can observe typically developing kids and know what their typical movement looks like. So what does rolling look like? What does getting on hands and knees? What does sitting look like? Because having a good foundation of what movement looks like as a child is developing is going to help you pick out what atypical movement looks like or where there might be concerns so that you know how to address them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it seems to me from listening to you go over this case study that having keen observation skills yes. is going to be one of your greatest strengths as a pediatric physical therapy, uh, physical therapist, sorry. Yes. And, and also knowing that what you may see on a standardized test, the score of a standardized test is one thing, but being able to look at the movement and and how maybe they're compensating is something totally different. So surprise, surprise, just like with um, imaging and things like that, what you see on a scan, what you see on a, uh, the score of a test is not giving you the whole picture. Correct. Yes, we do use standardized tests, but we, a lot of times we're like, that's not the end all be all. You know, I've had people come in, therapists come in and they're like, well, I did an evaluation. I did this standardized test. And I was like, no, that's a tool in your examination. Um, And while you were doing it, what did you observe? Again, going back to the observation, Mm -hmm. because when I'm doing the test, very rarely am I ever just putting the number down. I'm like, oh, did this while this was happening and this while this was happening. Because then later when I go to write it up, I'm like, oh yeah, that happened there. And again, it comes down to the quality and the things that I noticed as a, cause just like we said, she had a, a normal quote unquote normal score for her pediatric balance scale. Well, mm-hmm. but she didn't have good balance. Again, she figured ways to compensate to get yeah. the score that she needed. Yeah. Yeah. I'll gr- I think this was a great example, Stacy. Thank you for bringing this for our mini masterclass today. And I am sure a lot of people listening to this are going to take a lot out of it and maybe maybe, and hopefully look at some of their pediatric patients a little differently now because of it. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And then last question that I ask everyone is knowing where you are now in your life and in your career, what advice would you give to yourself as a new grad physical therapist? Um, Probably a couple pieces. One is your path may not always look the way you thought it was going to look. Um, but by taking opportunities, it opens up other doors. Um, I came just a quick about my history. I came out when the balanced budget act had passed and I wanted to work in peds, but there was no jobs available. So I did five years in acute care. I think I'm a better therapist today with kids because I did that acute care. Mm Um, that's one thing. And then don't, hesitate to just talk about the cases you're seeing or the kids you're seeing. Um, It's so easy to say, well, ask questions, but a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. And so by talking with the other therapists around you who either have the same experience level as you, or maybe have more experience than you, you start to like look at things differently or have questions come up that you didn't even realize were there. Um, You know, when 
um, talking with my staff about the case, or even when I was reviewing this case with my staff before coming on here, we were able to ask each other questions to just made us think about things a little bit differently. And so I think your knowledge can increase exponentially when you're willing to have those conversations and not just wait until you have a question. I don't know if that made sense or not. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And that's why there are, you know, in services and team meetings and, uh, you know, I'm on my own, but if I, have a case that I'm unsure of, or even something, hey, I, I don't really have any questions. Maybe I'm missing something. I'll reach out to a colleague and say, hey, could you take a look at this? I feel like I'm, I just have this feeling I'm missing something, but I'm not sure. Yes. Yes. I still learn something every day. Yeah. That's the best part about mentoring people is I learned from it too. Absolutely. Well, Stacy, thanks so much for coming on. Where can people find you? Where, where are you at online? <laughs> Um, I am on Twitter. I am not always the most loquacious Twitter user, but I am there. So at Stacy Menz, S-T-A-C-Y-M-E-N-Z. Um, our company is also on for at Motor Smart Kids. I am on Instagram um, for Starfish Therapies. And then our website, uh, starfishtherapies.com. And we have a blog on there as well. Awesome. Yeah, it's a very good blog. I do read them because when you post them up on Instagram, I go and read them <laughs> on the blog. It is a very good blog. And you're located in the San Francisco Bay Area. So if anyone, um, if you have any questions or you want to consult with Stacy or you're in the San Francisco area, then by all means, reach out because she has a wealth of knowledge. Um, and Stacy, thanks so much for coming on. Yes. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Yeah, my pleasure. And I guess I'll be seeing you in a couple of months in uh, Colorado couple, Springs. No, I'll see you in a couple of weeks in New York. Oh my God. I will see you in a couple of weeks. And what is wrong with me? I will see you in a couple of weeks in New York because Stacy is on our leadership panel for the Women in PT Summit, which is happening in just, uh, um, yeah, happening in a few weeks. So I'm really excited to see you there as well. Oh my God. What's wrong with me? <laughs> it's okay. It's Friday. But still, that's ridiculous. Well, anyway, thank you so much for coming on, Stacey. And everyone else, thanks for listening. Have a great week and stay healthy, wealthy, and smart. A huge thank you to Dr. Stacey Menz for taking us through that really interesting pediatric case study for our mini masterclass for the month of September. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, NetHealth. So NetHealth is Redoc powered by XFIT, which is a cloud-based, fully integrated EMR and billing solution Plus, you can opt in to completely outsource billing services. That's the best way to optimize revenue. Imagine PT billing, coding, and compliance experts taking the back office work off your hands and reporting to you, allowing you to run your business and treat your patients. To learn more about Redoc and the complete revenue cycle management services, check them out at nethealth.com healthy. Thank you for listening and please subscribe to the podcast at podcast.healthywealthysmart.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media.